uh, compromise that. So uh, we do have a, a special announcement. One of our young couples in the church uh, took very seriously the uh, the both the uh, offer I made to you to to go out and bring new people to church and God's command to be fruitful and multiply. So Robbie and Sarah Martin have welcomed their third little baby girl. Look at Riley Grace. I texted him, congratulations. I said, that's, that's, that's three times girl dad without any sons. Like, you're going to need the strength of Samson, my brother. Yeah, yeah. So uh, congratulate them. They're not here today, but uh, do uh, keep them in your prayers and your thoughts. And, and uh, that's, that's three little beautiful blessings that they have. And, and they are really keeping that command to be fruitful and multiply. Where's yours at? I told you to go out and bring some people to church. If Listen, you got to do it one way or another, okay? Sarah was not too old. You're... Anybody want to come up and get prayer? <laughs> Why was you so fast, Scott? It's... <laughs> All right, welcome to week two of a series for this fall that I have titled Warning Signs. And I'm, I'm just going to give you a premise that I did not include in, in the notes. So none of this is going to pertain to this morning's message. This is just... Overall, something that I, I felt strongly as we were singing, come alive in the name of Jesus. When God deals with me about sermon series, he, he does so in the future. In other words, I'm not living in the moment and, and just coming up with these ideas. God actually planted this in me uh, earlier this year. And at the time, I don't always know why. I just know his voice, I know his leading, I know where he wants me to go, I don't always understand why, and then when I get there in the moment, because God's already been to the future, and then comes back to our present, and reveals himself to us, when I get to my future, which wasn't God's future, because God already knew the future, he knows the end from the beginning, when I get to my future, I realize, oh, that's why God wanted this. My sermon series is Warning Signs, and it sounds, it sounds very uh, drastic. And last week we talked about Paul's letter to Timothy and, and the, the signs of the end times. And, and it sounds very dramatic, and I don't want you to take it that way. If you read the sermon bumper that I wrote, you'll see what this series is really about. And it's really about helping you. It's... it's I didn't know God's heart at the time. I just knew he was telling me to do it. Now that we're here, I understand the heaviness because as a pastor, you get a heaviness for your sheep. You get a heaviness for your flock. And I've got such a heaviness on me for people that are wanting to quit right now. For, for Christians that are just wanting to give up, throw in the towel, and say, I can't do this anymore. And trust me, we have all been there. There's not one person in this room, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, it doesn't matter how sanctified you think we are, there's not one of us that has not wanted to throw in the towel and say, this isn't working, and go back. It's just that most of us have decided there's nothing worth going back to. That's the only difference. That's the only difference. It's not that we're so much stronger than you or that we've got such a greater connection to God than you do. It's just we look back and said, my life was terrible back there. Why would I want to go back to terrible? It may not be perfect now. I may not be uh, get, having everything the way I want it right now, but I don't want that again. 
That's what I prayed myself out of. That's what I wanted released from. That's what I was trying to escape from. Why would I want to run back to that? And that's, so that's where most of us are. And, and there's just so many people in this age that are wanting to quit. You know, just yet they've said yes to Jesus, but there's, there's parts of their life they haven't surrendered. There's parts of their mentality they haven't surrendered. Or they're just weary, beat down, trodden underfoot, and I want to help you. And these sermons are designed to help you. I'm not, I'm not going to come in here every Sunday and beat you up. I'm going to reveal to you the signs of things that are maybe God is putting in your path to show you don't go this way because you won't like the outcome if you do. Hey, maybe it's a sign of this is where you're living and if you want something better, evaluate where you are and make a change. Those kinds of signs. But they're not, to, they're not to make you feel less than. They're to build you up and to increase your faith and more importantly, to give you the help you need to hold on. This morning's message is titled, You're in a Tight Spot. You're in a tight spot. My text is going to come out of 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you will grant me grace, listen, I know I say this all the time, and I end up lying all the time, and I apologize. But I really am trying to preach shorter sermons. I really am. I'm trying. This won't be one of them. So grade me on a curve, Okay. But this one, I have so many points, and I cannot, I cannot break this sermon apart. I wanted to. I can't. I have a lot of points. I have a lot of information to get to you that's going to help you. And, and uh, frankly, it's going to be a long one. I apologize in advance. Grade me on a curve. Uh, by the time we get to Christmas at the movies, I'll be, I'll be real short, okay? So, uh, well, real short for me. And so you're in a tight spot is what we're going to talk about this morning. And I'm going to take my text out of 1 Samuel 16. Now everybody in this room, if you've been in church at all, ever in your life, you know what happens in 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17 is the great combat between David and a nine and a half foot giant named Goliath. Yes, you've heard this? Yeah, everybody knows David versus Goliath, right? It, even society uses that as, a, as a, a, a point of emphasis when they're talking about how a, a sports team overcomes a, a great obstacle, and it was David versus Goliath. We, we use that analogy all in life, David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17. But what is most often overlooked is what happens before the victory. Yeah, we know David went down into the valley. Yes, we know he took five smooth stones and a slingshot and brought down a giant. We all know this, yes? However, what's most overlooked is what got David ready for that battle. Because before there was a 1 Samuel 17, there was a 1 Samuel 16. Now, I'm going to give you a disclosure right now. We're going to use the last, last week's scripture. We're going to use it quite a few times in this sermon series. It's Paul's warnings to Timothy about the end times. We're going to revisit that a few times. But we're also going to look at David a lot. When you talk about warning signs and ignoring warning signs, there's a lot to be said about David. We're going to look at David's story a lot in this series. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about and praying over this sermon earlier this week, and something came to my memory that I had forgotten. When I was a little boy, my mother, uh, we didn't have much money. We, we, we did everything on the cheap. My mother used coupons. My mother went to different grocery stores. My wife thinks that's against the law. Um, 
But my mother went to like three different grocery stores to get groceries because whatever was cheaper over here, she'd go over there and get it. But then again, gas was like 89 cents a gallon back then. So you can afford to drive cheaper than you could afford to eat. And so she would go get groceries in, in one grocery store, and she'd go get meat in another one, and she'd go over here to get her milk and bread because it was on sale. And she knew where all the sales was. She kept up on all the local sales. She knew where everything was, and she could tell you immediately where everything was cheaper, and she kept up with it from week to week. And I remember as a little boy sitting in the buggy, and there was these magazines to my right, and I can still see it clearly. And there was this magazine that I would read the titles as a little boy, and it didn't make any sense to me because I didn't know who the people were that it was talking about. But does anybody remember, and I think it's still out there, the National Enquirer? Wasn't that thing wild? Like, they were always finding Elvis working down in Arkansas, the third shift at a 7-Eleven. You remember that? Like, Elvis is still alive. I saw him at the 7-Eleven. They, they were always, remember that? Do you remember that? And, and, and reading David's story in the Bible is a lot like reading the National Enquirer. i got to be honest with you. He's, he's a man after God's own heart. God called him the apple of his eye. And yet his, his story reads like the National Enquirer. It is scandalous. He's got all kinds of lies being told. He's on the run from his enemies. He's trying to half kill somebody. Then he regrets it and he repents. He gets right with God. He backslides again. I mean, David is all over the place. He's stealing people's wives. He's having people off. I mean, it's the mob. It's a harlequin woe man. It's everything all rolled together in one, okay? So we're going to look at David a lot in this series. And, and, and 1 Samuel 16 comes before the great battle with Goliath. In order for David to be prepared to face a giant, he first had to face Saul. 1 Samuel 16, verse 11. Then Samuel asked, now, now this is when Samuel goes to Jesse's house. He said, I'm here to find the next king. It's one of your boys. And Samuel only believed six of them was eligible. He had seven sons. He only believed six of them was eligible. So he sent six out. And none of them was the guy. They ran them six back through again, and none of them was the guy. And, and Jesse, or Samuel asked in verse 11, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse went, sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said... This is the one, anoint him. Mm -hmm. Where's he at? Say his father's house. David is anointed in his father's house. Keep that in your memory, Brank. Write that in your notes. David is anointed in his father's house. This is the one, anoint him. So David stood there among his brothers. Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. The Spirit of the Lord had left Saul. The Spirit of the Lord, who was once on Saul and anointed Saul, has left Saul. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. Mm. I just feel my spirit right now. Somebody in this room, somebody watching by live stream, you, you understand how it feels. To have this depression and fear on your life. When the anointing is there, it leaves. 
It's easy for you to feel built up on Sunday morning. It's easy for you when you're anointed in this room, but then when you get out of the anointing, Make me, make me feel like I'm only talking to me up here. When you get out of the anointing of this room, of the anointing of this atmosphere, this torment and depression and fear comes on you. Some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music and you will soon be well again. All right, Saul said, find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, one of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he's a brave warrior, a man of war. He has good judgment. He's also a fine-looking man. I don't know what that's got to do with anything. Like, Saul had some wives, so I'm not sure why that was a selling point. He's also a fine-looking man. Don't seem to fit there, but oh, read on. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sent messengers to Jesse to say, Send me your son David to shepherd. Jesse responded by sending David to Saul along with a young goat, a donkey loaded with bread, and a wineskin full of wine. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much. Pay attention to that. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, Please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. He loved him and was pleased with him. Yes, he loved him and was pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp and Saul would feel better and the tormenting spirit would go away. Saul appreciated, loved, and wanted to keep David. But if you keep reading this story, and I don't have time to, you will find out that Saul eventually tries multiple times to kill David. Now it says right here, he loved him, he appreciated him, and he sent word to his daddy and said, I want him to stay here because I love what he does for me. I love what he brings to my presence. I love how he benefits my house. I love what he does to make me feel better. So Saul loved David until he didn't. He loved what David did for him. He loved how David made him feel. He loved the benefits of having David around and the benefits that David brought to his atmosphere and his presence. But the moment that Saul gave in to this tormenting spirit of anxiety, depression, and fear, he turned on the thing he loved. Mm. Now, the reason I want to talk to you this morning about this subject is because David gets a job in the palace and that job definitely would qualify as something you would call a hostile environment I mean when your boss is trying to stab you with javelins that's a hostile workplace somebody say amen has anybody ever had to work in an explosive atmosphere uh huh have you ever needed a sign outside your workplace that said something like this <laughs> Like, like, listen, sometimes if you just interview and they would show you this sign, you'd say, ah, I'm good. Right? Like, like, sometimes you don't find out until it's too late. Anybody ever had to suffer through a relationship that needed this sign? Flashing red light indicates potential hazardous atmosphere. Do not enter. 
Like, has anybody ever had a relationship that you didn't know if you were walking in on Jekyll or Hyde? And you'd be like, listen, if you would just put a light on the outside of this door, and if it's flashing red, I'll leave you be. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or is it just me? Or is it just my wife? And I don't mean me walking in on her. I'm talking about her walking in on me. Don't get, don't get that twisted. Or how many of you have this daily situation in your spirit where you have a tormenting, depressing, soul-sucking problem, and you could use this sign, potential oxygen deficient atmosphere. This is when your daily life feels like it's stealing the air from your lungs. When it's all you can do to breathe. The longer you stay, it just sucks the oxygen does anybody, does this sound familiar to anybody in this room? Am I in the right place? See, today's topic is going to address the warning signs that you should pay attention to when you get in a tight spot. When you are being squeezed from every direction. And you can feel the pressure mounting. And you love Jesus. And you know His Word. And you know His promises. But you find it hard to breathe. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You're feeling pressure from work. You're feeling pressure at home. You're feeling pressure from the kids. You're feeling pressure in your marriage. The finances are squeezing you. Every arena, it's like there's no letting up. It's like having an anaconda wrapped around you that just constantly applies subtle pressure, and you can feel it, and it's just causing you to be uh, tormented over. Does anybody know what that feels like? So this morning's warning sign is danger, confined space, test atmosphere before entering. Some of you are in a tight spot. As a matter of fact, tell your neighbor, I'm in a tight spot. Uh huh. Now tell your, ne- your other neighbor, so I got to test this air. Uh-huh. I'm in a tight spot, so I got to test this air. You see what it says? Test the atmosphere before you come in. There's restrictions in some atmospheres. There's hostility in some atmospheres. You need to test the atmosphere before you walk in. And I'm going to show you a little bit later in this sermon that you need to test yourself before you walk in as well. Let's let's dive right into this. Uh, Because this is the weekend we celebrate something called Labor Day. Yes? And and one of the most contentious places in your life can be your workplace. Uh If you are working in a place uh, that you hate, listen, you spend a lot of time at work. And if you hate what you do, you are going to have a hard time, uh, or if you're working in a a hostile environment, you're going to have a hard time finding peace, joy, and happiness in any part of your life. If where you are is hostile, unless you learn how to deal with it, because you spend a lot of time at work. You spend a lot of time married. You spend a lot of time raising kids. And if you're in a relationship that is hostile, if you're in a relationship that's putting a squeeze on... You spend a lot of time thinking. It, you, you exude a lot of mental energy thinking about relationships. And if that relationship is causing you always to be squeezed mentally, squeezed emotionally, it'll take the life out of you. It, you're going to have a hard time breathing freely. Or how about the battles that go on? I mean, you come to church and you love the Lord and... Listen, listen, I'm not teaching theology on Sunday mornings. I, I preached a deep theological message Sunday night. I th- 
Personally, I think that's the best sermon I've ever preached in my life. If you was here Sunday night, I, I, I don't brag on myself. I just I think that that's about as good as I got. I, if you was here Sunday night, I gave you the best sermon I got in my holster right now. And, and, and that was theology. That was deep. That was, but on Sunday mornings, I'm just trying to help you. Because I know that some of you are coming in here, and this thing right here has been working overtime on you. Lies have been perpetrated to you. The enemy has used this thing against you. It is your greatest weapon, your greatest resource, your greatest source of power, and it is also your worst enemy. Because of the lies that the enemy plants in here, and you regurgitate them over and over and over, and then you drag your, your half-dead carcass into church on Sunday morning, and we breathe life back into you, only to have that life restricted again. Because you find yourself in a tight spot. And you come to church and you smile and you say, oh, I'm blessed and highly favored. How are you doing? I'm so, I, God is so good. And you know it's phony. You know you cried yourself every mile to church this morning. You know you have cried every day this week. You know that your mind and your heart has been in a tight spot and you are having a hard time breathing. But you come to church and you act like everything is okay because you want it to be. You wish it were. You're speaking things that are not as though they already are. But the problem with that is the squeeze remains. And I want to help you, not just today, but every week. I want to help you keep putting one foot in front of the other. Because I'm, yes, sometimes I prophesy. Yes, sometimes I give words of knowledge and sometimes I give words of wisdom. But I can't promise you I can tell you how long this trial will last. I wish to God that I could tell you something powerful like that, that I could tell you on, on November the 2nd, all of this will let up. I wish God would give. But the truth of the matter is, all I can do is tell you, I promise you that if you keep pressing in, that there is going to be a relief at some point because he has not brought you this far to let you come this far. I don't know how and I don't know when, but I know that he will show up for anyone who diligently seeks him and refuses to quit and keeps putting one foot in front of the other. And I'm going to keep serving my God. I don't know, I don't know how long I can take it, but I know as long as he's with me, I can endure all. That's all I can promise you. But, but, but this, this, this story says an evil spirit came on Saul from God. I don't have time to dissect this theologically because I'm going to be honest with you. I've wrestled with it for 25 years and I still don't understand it. I just take the word at its word. And it says that there was a tormenting spirit, an evil spirit from the Lord that came on Saul. And one of the greatest warning signs that you are in for a fight is when evil spirits get stirred up around you. David should have known he was in for a fight. Because when he came into the room, evil spirits tormented him, got stirred up. Even when evil comes, when I read this story, I find out even when evil comes against you, God is still in control. As a matter of fact, often in your life, God will use evil as a messenger that good is on the way. Hello? That's what Paul meant when he said all things work together. He, he didn't say all the good stuff works together. He said all things work together for good. He didn't say all things are good. He said when it's all mixed together, God takes the good, the bad, the ugly, puts it in his pot, puts it in his kitchen, sticks it in his heavenly oven, and when it comes out, that thing will be good. 
Whatever it is will be good because all things work together for good. And it helps me when evil spirits are rising up against me to know that God monitors how much evil I can endure in one day. It helps me to read this story because Satan may be in the fire, but God's the one with the hand on the thermostat. And, and, and Satan can't even attack me unless God allows him to. So if it wasn't for my good, uh, I got three people got that. If it wasn't for my good, God himself would not have allowed it to happen. And the reason most of y'all don't want to clap right there is because you don't like where you're at. And you say, this can't be what God's got planned for me. Who made you God? Who, who told you that this can't be God's plan? Why? Why? Because it's uncomfortable? Because it's painful? Because you don't like it? It can't be God? You better go back and tell these folks in the Bible because I got some brothers and sisters that went through some hell and came out sm without the smell of smoke on them because God put them in a situation. As a matter of fact, you better go back and tell Jesus because Jesus got stretched wide and hung high and gave up his life and it was totally God's plan. Okay, so, 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 so here we have that this, this evil is coming against David. But if you'll pay attention, I'm going to show you something. This evil was setting the stage for God's will to be glorified. And if you just read this story on the surface, you don't get this. Saul was not the king that God would have wanted. Saul was the king the people wanted because he was so tall, dark, and handsome. See, ladies, that'll get you in trouble. Go ahead and just start marking that stuff off your resume. It ain't as important as you think it is. Tall, dark, and handsome can just get you in trouble, okay? Go back and rework that resume and put godly in there, okay? <laughs> Seeker of Jesus. Lover of the word. Put some stuff like that in there, all right? <laughs> I'm just trying to help you with relationship advice. Come back next week. I'll have you some more. Saul was not the king that God would have wanted, but he was the instrument that God used to promote the one God chose. Oh, I just said a whole lot right there. See, God anointed Saul to be used for a season, but when God took his spirit away from Saul, an evil spirit came on him, and this evil was setting the stage for God's will to be glorified. Has it ever occurred to you that sometimes you are praying against what God is using? See, it's getting quiet because now y'all are like, this can't be. Listen, God has a purpose for your life. And he doesn't show you the whole story. He shows you page by page. And sometimes you are praying against the very things that God is using to work in your life. How do I know that? Because the Bible says my weakness makes his strength perfect. That when he gets me down to where I am weary and, uh, and out of strength, that's when he kicks in. He wants me to get to the end of myself so he can show me who he is and how strong he is. So sometimes he puts you in an uncomfortable situation so he can bring his purpose. Because he is more concerned about what he is doing through you than he is you being comfortable. Now, I'm not sure where this generation got the idea that everybody else in the world is supposed to make them feel comfortable. Y'all not going to help me. I'm going to just take my jacket off and amen myself. 
know who told this generation that ain't nobody ever supposed to disagree with you. That disagreeing with you is somehow violence against you. That because you say something that hurts my feelings, you ought to be canceled and shut up and maybe locked away in jail because I need a safe space where don't nobody ever say anything, do anything, or act any way that makes me feel uncomfortable. This is the generation we're raising, folks. This is the world that we're living in. And we think that all the trouble in our life are instruments of the devil. But here what I find is that Saul, if Saul had not been wicked toward David, there would have been no need for David to be in the palace. Some of y'all are fighting against stuff that God put in your life. Because if there was no trouble, there's no need for your anointing there. You keep praying crazy stuff like, God, let my gift make room for me. And then when your gift makes room for you, you say, I don't like this room. This is not what I meant. I meant to be, I wanted to be elevated. You know, I wanted to be illuminated. I want to be elevated and illuminated. I want a light on me. I want a microphone. I want people to listen to me. I want to hear them. I want them, I want them to hear me prophesy. And I want to tell them all the good things that God's going to do in their life. I really did not mean for you to put me in a cubicle beside of an atheist who hates my guts. I really did not mean for you to give me these kids that don't listen to me and don't mind me and would rather listen to their friends than my advice and they are stressing me out and I'm losing my hair and I got ulcers in my mouth. This ain't what I had in mind. <laughs> you want your gift to make room for you, but you want to pick the room. If David would have prayed away Saul's evil spirit, he would have also prayed away his opportunity to serve God in that environment. My hand claps are getting fewer and fewer. That's all right. I brought an amen in my pocket this morning because I knew it was going to be thick in here. The Bible takes time to tell us that before David was placed in this evil atmosphere, he was anointed in his father's house. Yes? Okay. So before he got into the evil atmosphere, he was anointed. Before he got into the... He was... So he could be effective once he got in the evil atmosphere. He was anointed before he ever showed up. So if you go into an evil environment and you aren't anointed for it, you will become the environment. But if you're anointed before you get there... You can survive it because God prepared you behind the scenes so you can walk into the environment fully equipped for what God sent you there to do. That is why it is counterproductive for you to get up every day complaining about going to work. You're cursing what God put you in that place to do. If you get up every Sunday morning complaining about having to go to church, you are undressing yourself, and you are vulnerable to all the enemy's attacks. Oh, it's going to get quieter in here now. Your problem is not that you have to work with devils. Your problem is that you keep going to work naked. Listen, if you are dressed right, you can work with anthrax. 
I watched footage where they was walking on the moon, but they had to be dressed right. I jumped out of an airplane. I had to be dressed right. I triple-checked that thing. You sure that parachute's right? You sure these goggles is going to hold up under the atmospheric pressure up there? You sure this suit's going to keep me from freezing to death? If I'm going to jump out of an airplane 20,000 feet in the air, I need to know that I am dressed appropriately. I wasn't trying to be a splatted bug that day, that particular day. I want to make sure I'm going to hit the ground, but not at that speed. You can, as long as you're dressed right, you can handle any atmosphere. I watch guys climb telephone poles because they dressed right. Okay? So you got to put on... The Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to put on the full armor of God. Just like you do your clothes in the morning. You've got to get yourself in a positive atmosphere before, say before, before you get introduced into that wicked, evil environment because that evil environment will not build you up, it will not stimulate you, and it won't produce growth in you. So you have to do all of that before you show up. Ah, so you'll end up frustrated. If you go into an evil environment looking for something that will not happen, if you're looking for gratification in an evil environment, if you're expecting your relatives to build you up, if you're expecting your job to anoint you, if you're expecting your church to platform you, you will remain frustrated because you're asking from people what you're supposed to be getting from God. I'm saying a whole lot this morning. I hope you get this. Because you have to be dressed before you get into the environment or the environment will contaminate you. So after you have tested the air and you realize it's hostile in there, you need to realize that that hostility may not go away. Because you're going to stand outside the door and say, God, you got to make this joker that I married. Straighten up before I walk in that room. Lord, I will not be responsible for the actions. Once I walk into that kid's room, if that kid keeps backsassing me, God, please don't let CPS come to hear their cries. Oh, nay, nay. (laughs) You're asking God to prepare the atmosphere so you don't feel intimidated, frustrated, and overwhelmed. When God says, before you walk into that environment, why don't you put on the whole armor of God? Why don't you put on the Lord Jesus Christ so you can walk into that environment and not be affected? Yeah. So after you've tested the air and you realize that that air may or may not change, you need to take measures to make sure that when you get into that atmosphere, you get into it. It doesn't get into you. So I'm going to give you six ways to breathe. How to breathe in tight spots. Are you ready? I realize that I've already outpreached my welcome, but I told you I was going to go along today. How to breathe in tight spots. Number one, understand that God anoints you for trouble. God anoints you for trouble. Notice I did not say from trouble. You cannot continually ask God to change the atmosphere to suit you. Because you are at your best when your environment is at its worst. And you don't believe that, but I know it's true because I've studied church history. And going all the way back to ancient Egypt, when Israelites were in captivity to the Egyptians, we have always, as God's people, prospered more when the environment was squeezing us. 
The early church grew when they were being persecuted. Israel grew when they were being persecuted. So you are at your best when your environment is at its worst. When people fall apart everywhere around you, your anointing will activate. And as they get worse, you should get better. Just because others fall apart in that environment doesn't mean God's anointed will. Listen, Goliath killed a whole lot of people, but he didn't kill David, did he? Because David was anointed when he went into that valley. So just because others have failed does not mean God's anointed will fail. And instead of using your anointing to get you out of trouble, He will anoint you in trouble because the Bible says He is a present help in what? Yeah, He's not a present help before the trouble and after the trouble. It's when you're in trouble, you are closest to God. So some of you wonder why God seems so far away, but you're neglecting the room He has prepared for you because you don't like the trouble that's in there. You have to stop seeing every problem as the enemy. Because have you ever thought that maybe, maybe, just maybe it's God's instrument to anoint you to your fullest capacity? Some of you have said crazy stuff like, God, send more. Anoint me. Bless me. Magnify me. Prosper me. You say crazy stuff like that. And then when God gets ready to do it, you say, oh, no, that's not what I had in mind. That's not, that's not how I wanted it to happen. I'm not talking about anointing like we think about it because when I say you get anointed, you think about shouting and dancing and falling out in the Spirit. But a whole lot of people that shout aren't anointed. <laughs> so I'm not talking about that kind of anointing. Now, anointing actually means empowered. It comes from the word dunamis where we get our word dynamite. And do you know what dynamite does? It activates in trouble. Dynamite, dynamite shows up and explodes the environment where it's planted. That's why you can do college when other people your age can't. You can raise those kids, and you have to quit saying you can. You have to stop saying, I can't stay in this marriage. You have to quit saying, I can't keep doing this job, because you can, because there's a power inside of you that is greater than not only you, but it's greater than the environment. And so many of us think we can't, and you're right, you can't. But that thing that's inside of you, this Holy Ghost, this dynamite power that's inside of you, it'll show up, activate, and show off, and show you how powerful it is. See, you are at your strongest when life is most challenging. Oh, you don't want to hear this, but you pray better when you are in misery. I watch it. Listen, when, when, when all hell is against you and your world is falling apart, you ain't up here being cute. Most Sundays, I can't drag you up here with a team of mules to get you to the altar. But let your baby get cancer. Lose your job at 55 and you don't know how you're going to put groceries on the table. You will be up here snot running down your face, mascara running all over you. You're shaking under the power, begging God to do something. You pray better. You praise deeper when misery finds you. Have you ever thought that maybe, just maybe, God put you in that app? Because He's trying to bring something out of you that you have been holding down. There's a praise in you He hasn't heard yet. There's a worship in you you haven't offered yet. So He's going to let you get in a tight spot. (laughs) And when you get in that tight spot, you're going to lose a sound that heaven's been waiting to hear. 
So, so, yeah. David was placed in this situation. David was placed in the palace because Saul had a need. Hello. Saul had a problem and David had the solution. So you come every day and say, this is a hard place to work. Maybe that's why God put you there. They have a problem. He's hid the Oh, it quite, my whole amen committee resigned on that one point. Well, it's a hard place to work. Maybe that's why God put you there. Because they have a problem and he hid the solution inside of you. Oh, well, these people don't know what they're doing. Maybe that's why you're there. Because he put the answer inside of so his glory can be revealed through somebody like you. Go and ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Go and ask somebody like Daniel what happens when he hides you in the midst of a hostile environment and you have all the answers. When they're asking questions because they have problems and you have the answer, that's how you get promoted. That's how you get elevated. That's how you get the eyes on you. You don't necessarily need another degree. What you need is the favor of God on your life. Number two, don't depend on appreciation for your oxygen supply. You got to learn how to, without having somebody pat you on the back. Well, they don't appreciate me. Well, they probably did on Friday when that direct deposit hit your account. I'm just saying. That's, that was what you offered. You offered work and they offered you an amount of pay. They didn't offer you appreciation. If you want to feel appreciation, the Humane Society's got a whole bunch of cages up there with appreciation all in them. I, I'm partial to pugs myself, black ones. But you can get any kind you want, and they will lick on you and tell you how wonderful you are, and every time you walk in the room, their tail does like this, and it just gives you warm fuzzies. But if you expect that same welcome from your coworkers, if when you walk into work, you expect all your co-workers to stand up and start doing this and come over and start licking you on the hand and say, I'm so glad you came home. You're going to be sadly disappointed and you're never going to get any oxygen. Get appreciation from the relationships that you choose. Yeah, yeah. We spend way too much time trying to gain in environments where we are sent to give something. I had to learn this a long time ago about ministry. I have been sent to this church on Sundays to give something. I can't expect to gain in an environment where I was sent to give. This is a stewardship that I'm doing. Y'all not hearing me. Y'all think preachers just stand up and preach because that's what we get paid to do. I was making more money before I got into ministry than I was when I got into ministry. It's never been an issue about, uh, about money. It's been an issue about stewardship. He gave me the breath in my lungs to proclaim his gospel, and I couldn't get away from that mandate. So I come into this environment to give something, not to take. And that's the attitude you need to have, too. And you've got to stop looking for people to encourage you. Listen, if you're always looking to receive instead of give, always expecting something, people have to break their neck to affirm you. You walk around the house all day going, do you still love me? You haven't told me you love me today. I walked right by you. You didn't hug me. You didn't give me a kiss. Am I not your smoochy, moochy, moochy-coo anymore? 
Do you have something else on your mind besides me? Is there something more important than me? And before you know it, you've had a 15-minute fight over nothing. (laughs) Not speaking from experience because this woman's perfect. I'm just talking about how y'all probably live. (laughs) Some of you understand what I'm talking about. If they do appreciate you at work, if they do appreciate you at home, if you get appreciation and validation in that relationship, that's extra. That is icing on your cake. But if you expect it, can I I help you? If you expect appreciation from a relationship, the moment they stop giving it, you are unmotivated to stay in it. Saul loved David while he was appreciating David because he liked what David brought to the relationship. But when Saul got jealous, when Saul got jealous of David, he stopped appreciating David and he was no longer motivated to stay in the relationship because he didn't feel appreciated back. Well, I do all this. I pick up everybody's socks and I take out the garbage and I'm the only one that'll wash dishes. And I'm the only one that ever cooks this food and I cook it and nobody's here to eat it. And then, I've heard people act like that. I don't know. I don't have any firsthand experience. I've just heard rumors. Gossip, (laughs) that people act like that. If you expect something that is not coming, you'll become unmotivated if you don't get it. That's why you have to learn how to breathe. Get oxygen on your own. Number three, breathing does not require speaking. If you're not mad at me yet, this one's your turn. (laughs) David was so gifted, he was able to shift the atmosphere. Do you understand how powerful that is? That you can go into a room and the whole atmosphere would shift. That demons would literally lay down and shut up because of your gift. David would start playing the harp. And that evil spirit would lay down and shut up. And God put him in a hostile environment because he gave him the gift to change it. I told you, you won't like this one. You see where this is going. David was tormented by a devil. He was fought by a devil. He was resisted by a devil. But you never read where he addressed the devil. See, 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 listen. He never commented on Saul's evil spirit. And some of you don't realize why your hostile environment keeps getting worse. And it's not because you haven't been gifted to change it. It's because you can be snared by the words of your own mouth. See, God trapped on one level of life your ability. It's trapped there. And the only reason, the only way you get loose from it and get to the next level is by learning how to not comment on what's resisting you right now. Some of us don't know that your mouth can talk you out of the greatest blessing that God ever wanted to release into your life. David changed the atmosphere. He didn't talk about the atmosphere. Oh, oh, he changed the atmosphere. He didn't complain about the atmosphere. Uh, uh, Listen, 
In quietness, Isaiah said, and confidence shall be your strength. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. When everybody else is complaining and grumbling, you should just turn off your Facebook. You don't have to comment. Oh, I said you don't have to comment. You know why they have to? Because all they have to talk to is each other. You have somebody else you can talk to. They got to open their mouth. They got to complain. They've got to gossip. They've got to tell somebody what's on their mind because that's all they have to release. You and I, we can go into our prayer closet and shut the door and we can release to heaven what's pent up on the inside of us. Can I tell you something that is powerful if you can understand it? Your thoughts are the final frontier of your privacy. If you keep it up here, it's private. When you say everything that is on your mind, you violate your own privacy. So sometimes the most powerful thing you can say is to yourself, shut up. Keep your lips closed. David never said anything while he did his thing. He just did his thing. And his thing caused the devil to lay down. And you will never be built up as long as you're complaining and whining. That tears you down. But when you walk around saying out loud, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When you walk through your house and you say things like, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When you stroll into your, uh, into your neighborhood and there's hostile, uh, hostility because some of the neighbors, or you walk into your cubicle at work, or you walk around your plant at work and, and you say things like, if the, we- if the weapons of his warfare are formed, they will not prosper against me because when the spirit uh, of resistance comes against me, when the spirit of slander comes against me, when the spirit of the enemy's lies come against me, the spirit that's inside of me will raise up a standard. I am not in this thing by myself. I know I don't feel well. I know I feel rejected. I feel beat up, but I will proclaim the goodness of God, and I will see Him in His glory. You need to seek opportunities to change the atmosphere without commenting on the problems. I'm going to say it again. You need to seek opportunities to change things without complaining about those things. We need a return of desire to do everything with excellence. Just for the sake of doing it. Generations ahead of us, they did everything with excellence just because it was the right thing to do. And a lot of people don't do their job well, but they still want to get moved up and promoted. They, they want to put in a half a day's work, get a whole day's pay, and they want recognized, appreciated, and they want an advance. But, but can I tell you that just doing a job well is a ministry? Oh, I thought I might get more amens right there. But uh, listen, when people can count on you, that's a ministry. When you say, I'm going to be there at 10, and you show up at 9.50 ready to go, that's a ministry. You are ministering to people. Being a good parent is a ministry. Being a good spouse is a ministry. When you can go and do things because it needs done and you don't need padded down, made over, 
You don't need a certificate of appreciation. You just did it because it needed done. See, God didn't put you where he put you to complain. He put you there for a purpose. He put you there to shine in darkness. He put you there to, be, to bring gifts to the table. And there's a reason that you're working there. There's a reason you are in this situation. There's a reason you married into that family. Because all this time you've been rebuking this, saying, surely this sweet man that I married cannot come from that gene pool. One day they're going to find out that he was switched at birth. God, I pray right now in the name of your son Jesus that the Holy Spirit bring wisdom to whoever it is that he actually belongs to. And they're probably rich with a retirement village somewhere over in Italy and we're all going to be tapped into it. I know he did not come from this bunch of deadbeat rednecks that live in that trailer. I know that them are not the people that this wonderful man came from. I claim this in the name of Jesus. I know I'm not the only one who goes to my family reunion confused. Like, I show up at my family reunion, and I look around, and I'm like, I don't belong here. Like, I want a blood test. Like, I'm that confused. Where I, like, want to bring charity with me and say, can you just take samples from everybody here? Because one of these things is not like the other. Okay, But there's a reason. There's a reason that you are where you are. There's a reason you have been deposited into that environment. God would not put you there if you wasn't anointed for it. That means you can raise kids other people can't because you're anointed for it. You, you can survive things that would kill other people because you're anointed for it. You can overcome this because you're anointed for it. See, I'm, I'm, I got the Holy Ghost in me. And that, that, that gives me an advantage over other people. I, I, don't have to, I don't have to seek out more wisdom from Dr. Spock or Dr. Phil because I got the Holy Ghost inside of me. And I've been hand-selected. I've been divinely chosen by heaven. And if God thought that I was man enough to handle this assignment, I will not fail my father. I will keep putting one foot in front of the other because he put me. See, to get the optimum results, God put you in there to give minimum confusion. He wants you to be effective without the making the environment worse. Some people God can't promote because they cause too much confusion. Because they pray for one thing, but they do another. Number four, remember to exhale. If you're going to breathe in a tight spot, breathing takes two steps. you got to breathe in. <gasps> And you've got to breathe out. And if you breathe in, your body absorbs oxygen. And when you breathe out, it releases carbon dioxide. If you can't release carbon, CO2, guess what happens? You suffocate. And you die. You have to breathe in what is valuable. And learn to release... What is deadly? Oh, I just did a whole lot of preaching right there. It is good for the boat to be in the water. It is bad for the water to get inside the boat. And you have to be able, no matter what environment you find yourself in, to breathe in 
and hold on to and retain what is valuable and release what is poison. Because if you don't know how to release the poison, you will die of suffocation. If your atmosphere is victimizing you, it's because you have allowed it to influence you instead of you influencing it. Later in this series, we're going to talk about be careful little ears what you hear. Because what you hear will victimize you. And you've got to stop letting the mentality of others, the hostility of others, the hatefulness of others, the angriness of others, and their offenses become your offenses. They influence you by what they say. You don't believe me? Why do you think preaching works? Because it influences you by what we say. And, and, And... That's why preaching works. Psalm chapter 1 verse 1 says this. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Join in with mockers. Why do you join in with mockers? Because what they say goes in your little ears and it comes out your big fat mouth. Oh, I didn't say that from the pulpit. You hear what the mockers say and you join in. You start repeating. You start parroting what they say. And you got to be able to breathe in a tight spot without letting the poison stay inside of you. So how do you handle that? You've got to learn how to let it go. You've got to learn how to let things go. You've got to let the poison go. I, I got I to say it. Do you remember when you was praying that God would give you a job? And now you got the audacity to complain about the thing you prayed God would give you? Remember when you were single, trying to raise them kids, and you prayed for God to bring you somebody to help you with them kids? Now listen. It's up to you to figure out the ones God sent and the ones that distraction sent. But some people are praying for the problems you're praying to get out of. You're praying because you don't like your house. There's people living under bridges praying they'd have one. You're praying that God would get you out of that job. There's people making uh, uh, $7.50 an hour cleaning toilets in a bathroom somewhere praying they could have your position. And if they had it, they'd feel like they were living like a king or a queen. It got quiet, I told you. I'll fend everybody in here before it's over. Just hold on. Your turn's coming. That's why you got to be careful who you spend time with because if they have your ear, they can drop in a little bit of poison as you go. How'd you you like to have a little drop of poison in your morning coffee? It won't kill you all at once, but if you keep doing it day after day, eventually a little bit becomes too much. And it will kill you. Number five, don't bail before you're blessed. Most people are defeated in their tight spaces because they only see things in black and white. They walk into the job and they say, this is a good person and that's a bad person. I like this person. I don't like that person. I like talking to them, but I don't like talking to them. And they're seeing everything in black and white. But God will sometimes bless you through people you don't like. 
And I don't know if you've noticed it yet, but sometimes God will use people who don't even like you to be a blessing to you. Uh-huh. God, the Bible says your enemies will be your footstool. Yeah. In other words, they will help build you up. They don't want to help you. They ain't doing it out of the kindness of their heart. God just has a funny humor on things and can twist people into pretzels and make them do things for his kingdom and his glory as long as you're in the right place at the right time. So, so God will bless a David through a Saul. God will use Saul to promote David. Through it all, through it all, David was abused, he was mishandled. He, he was nearly killed. But through it all, David stayed in the house. Don't bail before you're blessed. David didn't stay in the house because Saul was in the house. David stayed in the house because his blessing was in the house. And he was willing to put up with the enemy as long as it took to get that blessing. At any time, David could have run back to his daddy's house. But he stayed in the house to get the blessing because the anointing wasn't out there. The anointing was in there. And he, all he had to do was outlast the devil to get his anointing. Uh-huh. David... David was in Saul's house to work, and it was a hostile environment. But before it was over, even though Saul was throwing javelins at him, Saul was trying to kill him, David made up his mind, if I'm going to survive this, got javelins thrown at my head. Throwing spears at my head while I'm trying to do good for I preached all morning to get right here. Like I'm trying to do right by you, and you try and take my head off. Don't raise your hand, but does anybody know what that feels like? Like I'm trying to be a blessing to you. I'm here on an assignment. And you're trying to kill me. And Saul would get enraged and pick up a spear and throw it at David. And David would duck and keep playing. And Saul would grab the spear 21 times and throw it at David. And David had to duck and keep playing. I preached all morning to get right here because you know why most of you keep getting hit? Because you don't have the ability to duck. Because ducking requires humility. If I'm going to survive this marriage, i got to say sorry for stuff I didn't do sometimes. I've got to let go of things that I'll never get an apology for. If I'm, if I'm going to make it in this hostile environment, 
No matter where it is, if it's at work, if it's at home, if it's in the world, if it's at church, if it's at the PTA, wherever it is, if you're going to survive that, you're going to have to learn humility. Because if I can't duck, everything the enemy throws at me is going to end up taking my head off. And some of you have not survived the hostile environment. And that's why you went from place to place, job to job, house to house, town to town, relationship to relationship, over and over and over. And you've, nothing has ever really lasted for you. And I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. The reason you keep running from thing to thing to thing to thing is not because of the thing. It's because you've never been able to humble yourself and say, maybe I need to work at this to change this environment. Because I can't keep giving them the power to change my life. As long as I'm waiting on you to become nice, as long as I'm waiting on you to become sweet, as long as I'm waiting on you to say you're sorry, as long as I'm waiting on you to compliment me and affirm me, I'm never going to get my healing. I have to be able to change my environment because I am humble enough to say, no matter how you are, that's not going to affect me. And too many of us have not learned the gift of ducking the enemy's advances. And last but not least, number six, learn when to swing and when to strum. When you fight a giant, a slingshot works well, apparently. But when you fight a demon force, an evil spirit, a bad attitude, slingshot don't help. When you fight a bad attitude, a sling, a swing doesn't help. The Bible says when the evil spirit would come up in Saul, David would grab a harp. Isn't that a strange weapon? Isn't that a strange weapon? Here's a boy that is so accurate with a sling that he can hit the forehead of another man at 10 paces. But when an evil spirit came against him, he knew that a rock won't help him. So he would grab a harp. And begin to strum. So sometimes when you're at work and you're just under your breath, and they're like, why are you always humming? You act like a crazy person. You say, because I got to keep my heart near me. Because I never know when you're going to lose your mind and come at me like a ferocious lion, and I've got to keep my harp real close because I can't swing on you, so I've got to learn how to strum. Every time you bring that bad spirit, that rotten attitude in here, I can't swing on you, so i got to keep my harp real close. So I've got a song in my heart. Every person in this room that's struggling, every person in this room that's been feeling like I don't know 
how much more of this I can take. Can I give you some advice? You can't wait until you get into a tight spot to start playing your song. You've got to get a song in your heart now so you can be anointed now so you can affect the atmosphere when you get there then. And the enemy does not understand why the enemy does not understand why the more he squeezes you keep showing up at church. It don't make no sense to him. Doesn't make any sense to him because if you was here Sunday night, we talked about what happened in heaven. They had a perfect environment in heaven and couldn't worship right. And you don't have a perfect environment. He's thrown everything he's got at you. Some of you he threw sickness. Some of you he threw a divorce. Some of you lost the house. Some of you have have lost your job. You got no career. Everything you thought you'd built fell apart. You lost half of it in the divorce. The other half of it is rotted down to the ground. Your kids don't call. Most of you have problems with your family that you don't understand. Some of you got issues with your health that your doctors can't even put their thumb on. And he has thrown everything at you to get you to quit. He squeezed you and squeezed you. And here you are on Sunday mornings. He don't get it. He don't understand you. It makes no sense how you can keep. He said, my God, tighten them up again. And they tighten it again. And you, this is the air I breathe. Tighten it again. They're still worshiping song. This is the air I breathe. Your Holy Spirit living in me. And my, my breaths are labored now. They, they don't come as easy as they used to, but make no mistake about it, I'm still breathing. I'm having a harder time. I, I don't find it as easy to do as I used to. And do I wish my life was different? Absolutely. Do I wish it was easier? Without a doubt. But <gasps> He hasn't squeezed the life out of me yet. I'm in a tight spot. But I'm still breathing. <sighs> do you feel that? Can you just take a deep breath? Everybody that's been living in a tight spot lately, can you feel that? You're breathing in what is precious and breathing out what is poison. Oh, hallelujah. Holy Spirit, do your work in this place. You're breathing in what is valuable and you're exhaling what's trying to kill you. You're breathing in God's goodness you're breathing out forgiveness for those that you've been holding captive. Some of you right now, as you begin to breathe, you're going to breathe in healing and wholeness. And you're going to breathe out sickness and depression. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Is it just me in the front of this room? If it is, then you need to come up here where this anointing is because I, I, I feel this. Yeah, I'm in a tight spot, but I'm still breathing. I got a song in my spirit. I'm not saying I'm happy. I'm not saying I'm walking around smiling all the time. I'm still battling, but I got the joy of the Lord in my heart and I'm still breathing. 
And some of you, the devil didn't want you to get here this morning because he knew that this word was going to encourage you and give you strength to make it through this season. And if that's you, if that's you, if you feel this in your spirit, I want you to jump to your feet. Well, what's people going to think about me? They're going to think that you're going to be an overcomer. They're going to think that you're going to get the victory. So if that's you, if you've been wondering how much more of this I can take, jump to your feet, jump to your feet, jump to your feet. Every person in this room that feels that way. Every person in this room that feels that way. I just don't know how much more of this I can take. Hallelujah. In your weakness, He is strong. Now, if you're serious about learning how to breathe when everything is tight, make your way up to this altar. There's already people here that already beat you to it. I don't want to be the first one. Don't worry, you ain't. But here's what's going to happen. Your steps are going to get anointed. And when you leave this room today, something's going to feel lighter. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim it. I proclaim it. When you leave this room today, your steps are going to be lighter. You're going to feel shackles coming off your feet. Tightness in your chest is going to go away. Help us, Lord Jesus. Holy Ghost, do your work. Prayer team, if you're here, staff, if you're here, just come up and be a support system for these that are here. Shh. Holy Ghost already doing the work. You don't have to do a whole lot of work. Just be a support for them. 